Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? I hope you can hear me. Um, I had to update Skype, and uh, it's really annoying. Um, anyways, uh, anyways, I hate when I hate when software updates when I don't want it to. I'm like, I didn't want to do this, and it like it didn't give me a choice. And um, I don't like that either. I'm one of those people who makes Windows download the update, but then I decide when it happens. I'm the decider because nothing is more irritating for them me to tell my, my computer to tell me that it needs to reboot. No, you reboot when I want you to, bitch. <laughs> I don't like being bossed around by technology. <laughs> Maybe that's the old lady in me. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. I was thinking about, you know, all the topics we've done over the years with, with writing and um, is that, you know, maybe it would be kind of fun to, um, when I'm with a whole bunch of writers uh, in social settings, we kind of meander from one topic to another. And you see me and me and Jilly do that, or you hear me and Jilly do that in the um, in the podcast all the time. But we, we've never set out to do it. We, we, we normally have a topic that we kind of shape around the, the, the chattering, and we've never really allowed the chat room to shape the conversation about um, about writing. So um, I'm inviting all the people in the chat room to sit down at my table, and um, we're going to um, we'll let you guys, you know, bring me some topics, bring me and Jilly some topics, because Jilly is actually on the line. Um Tell me how does it sound? Does it sound okay? Because I'll have to give feedback and I will give shitty feedback if I sound terrible. So let me know if it sounds terrible. Um, okay. I I hear you sound- a disturbing amount of white noise on your Do you end. hear it? Are you Damn it. Yeah, are you, are you in are you the, <laughs> I, I'm, it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> I can turn on the other headset. Uh, this one supposedly has noise canceling on the microphone, which my other mm-hmm. one doesn't. But if you're hearing the hum of the air conditioner, it's not very good. Give me a minute. I heard it a lot when I first put you on, but now it's like really, really, really in the background. Maybe because I started talking and there's something else for it to pick up. Maybe. So if, it, if, it, if people are really hearing it, I can. I'll switch to the other headset that supposedly has a noise canceling microphone because white noise microphones should be able to in this day and age should be able to filter out. Should be able to, right? Um, right. Well, the people in the chat room aren't saying anything, so I'm not sure. Um, I did move the chat room. Um, if you are currently listening to my podcast and you can't find the chat room, it's up in the top menu, the very top of the site. Uh, so, um, But the address for the link is still the same, and, of course, the link is on the podcast description if you have no problem. But, yeah, I did move it on my website because I had to make room for the Quantum Bang link. Um on um, my top menu, and I have to keep everything there because you know we're like Julie and I are building our own MCU. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
That's right. We're trying to decide what's next. (laughs) You guys can't see it, but on my um, bio for Quantum Bang, um, I have a new little bio, and it says the only thing standing between me and world domination is uh, felony-level procrastination. (laughs) (laughs) I have that, too. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, I, but yeah, I've been doing this really bizarre, really bizarre. Um, it's not really that bizarre. It's sort of like a how well do you know your online friends kind of thing, where you each exchange two questions. I've done it with you, mm-hmm. but I've, there's a couple people I've done it with a lot, like really high level on this. And you only advance if you get the answers right. So some people you stall out at like level two and you never go anywhere. <laughs> but um, basically. There have been a lot of questions that come up that deal with procrastination, and every single one of them that asks, you know, do you start working on this right away or do you wait to the last minute? I'm honest, and I answer that <laughs> I'm a procrastinator. I'm a procrastinator like, whoa. And I think it continually surprises people. Like, really? You, you would put it off that long? Yes, yes, I would. <laughs> I probably would have labeled you a procrastinator. I would have um, if yeah. I had gotten that question. I don't think I did. Um, but if I did, I definitely would have would have called you on that because um, when you when you're a hardcore procrastinator, you see it in other people. <laughs> yeah, you you know your people. <laughs> that one's one of mine. That's a procrastinator there. <laughs> well, I think part of it is like the pe- people who can like like they've got a test three months from now and they know the test is coming and they study a little bit every day for that test. I, I can't do that. It doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I don't know why it's probably the same kind of reason why, you know, sometimes shows back up on my DVR and then I sit down and watch them in a binge. I mean, it's just, it's just the way my brain works. Give it to I me all at once. Binge. That way I don't have to wait because if I, if there is anything I'm more, that I hate more than being lied to, it's having to wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Between being lied to and having to wait is pumping your own gas. Well, so. yes. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's not the actual activity of pumping my gas that's the problem. It's the smell. Mm. I have a very sensitive nose, and um, I have a very sensitive palate. And when I smell something, I taste it. And, yeah. frankly... Uh, the, the smell of gasoline is nauseating. I don't know yeah. how anybody could ever huff gasoline. I don't understand that at all. Ugh. I u- because I used to have a really sensitive sense of smell before I lost my sense of smell. But I was the same way. that Anything I smell, I would taste. And um, now the only smells I have now are phantom smells. And phantom smells are particularly cruel in the fact that they're always awful. And so it comes, and, and it, it's not isolated to the nose. Trust me, you taste it, too. <laughs> phantom smell, phantom taste, they're a pair. And, you know, but also I have a very good memory attached to scents. So if I think about something too much, it'll be, like, saturated in my nose. Or vice versa. If I come across a scent, um, I, I have a memory attached to it. I, it, it can be a very vivid memory, and if it's a terrible memory, it is a terrible experience. Yeah. No, I just don't pump my trigger. own gas, Edie. I just don't pump my own gas, to be perfectly frank. That's why I have a husband. 
I need to take my car when you go out because it's run low on gas. <laughs> he knows that's his job. We've been together 24 years. Shut up. <laughs> he knows what his job is. <laughs> this is your job, man. <laughs> this is your duty to me. Yeah, so um, if you guys don't bring up any topics for writing in the chat room, this conversation is going to get a little boring, you know, because that's, that's how it works. What are we talking about eight ball pool in Facebook Messenger? Yeah, because we because we have been playing a lot of pool in Facebook Messenger, and um, it's gotten to the point where I've nicknamed the eight ball son of a bitch. <laughs> well, you do have a real a hate hate relationship with that eight ball. I don't know what it ever did to you, but <laughs> it's ugly. It's ugly. Um, while we're waiting on one of you guys to have a question. Um, I got some feedback today on my um, website that I found particularly annoying. Um, and um, just to give you some, some um, uh, I'm going to give you a pro tip. Don't use words like flaw and nearly perfect in the midst of complimentary feedback because then it sounds because then it's kind of like you're punching me in the face while you're patting me on the head. I'm, I'm yeah. just saying. Nothing will ever replace buttercream videos. How dare you, As? Although I have watched, I I I've watched, I've cut my cake decorating videos about in half and replaced them with soap making videos and since many <laughs> soap makers use pipable soap and they make them look like cupcakes and stuff it's not actually all that different <laughs> there's, there's batter being poured there's talk about consistency there's decorating there's piping there's glitter unfortunately there's glitter biodegradable glitter but glitter um Glitter, glitter. Um, I don't know. I don't know why you need glitter and soap. I find that to be kind of odd. But, but I will say I had a trauma moment. I've watched. I've been really good about watching primarily um, people who are very neat and tidy in their soap making. Mm-hmm. They're very. Some of them are very. You can tell they've got some OCD issues because they spill a drop of soap, they clean it up, and then. Or they pause the camera, and all of a sudden their work sta- their workstation's cleaning. It's like this instant workstation cleanup. <laughs> and I watched this one video. This person's an absolute slob, and they're doing they're making soap on their cooking surface, on their obviously in their kitchen, and just getting raw soap, uncured soap, on their hands. Not they're wearing gloves, but they're taking that gloved hand and reaching into their silverware drawer to get a spoon. <laughs> just, and the, I, I was so anxious. I had to stop watching because I was like, oh, my God, this is a hot mess. I, you're you're trying to poison your family, right? That's what you're doing. <laughs> it's terrible. I can't even describe the current expression I have on my face. Let's just go with unmitigated horror. <laughs> it's almost as bad as that terrible cheesecake video, and you know what I'm talking about. That one with the bucket. 
Oh, the bucket and the and the and the and the and the, the, the table tennis table covered the in uh, covered with a vinyl yeah. tablecloth that didn't cover the whole thing, so you could tell it was oh, a ping pong table. She did a ball table. at the dollar store. Yeah, she Seriously. used a paint bucket. The paint bucket. Yeah. First person. Huh. Um, she was multitasking. Is, she was doing something. But you don't mix cheesecake in a fucking paint bucket. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. Um, oh, and the, riding, the horror. Go ahead. Okay, the horror didn't stop there because eventually I watched it enough to see the canned cherry pie selling come out. And I was just like, ugh. Nope. <laughs> can't deal. No, so she, I, she, I, I think she did mix it with a drill. I, yeah. yeah, I think she did mix with a drill. Um, so one of the people in the chat, I just want to do a shout out. We got somebody in the chat room. Ellie is did her first rough trade. Um, this go around. She was the first person done with both challenges. <laughs> so congratulations. I mean, like a boss. So congratulations. Welcome to rough trade. <laughs> we hope you had a we, good time. To what you can do in December. <laughs> awesome. That's really awesome. I am almost finished I with my second story. I wrote uh, a little over 5K today, and most of it is pending in a post because I've already posted officially for the 21st, and so it'll post at midnight after the show goes off because um, I already have it scheduled to post. Um Hey. Um, it's a privilege that I have um, as an admin that you guys don't have on the front end, and I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Although we have said if anybody needed time, needed help with setting up a post on a timer yeah, because they're going to be gone or something, then we would help you. So if you ever need that help, but um, you sh- I don't know. I don't know if you're on the court scene. I know where you left off. I was like, oh, I actually was rubbing my hands in like this sadistic glee, going, "There's going to be a court scene." <laughs> I am. I am doing a court scene. Um, Poppy Pomfrey testified first, and uh, it, she was awesome. I'm I'm really pleased with um, what I did there. And then um, and then Sirius uh, Black testified, and um, that's where that part ends. And then in the next part, uh, which could be my final part, depending on how much I write um, tomorrow, um, will be um, Dumbledore and Harry testifying and um, uh, keeping in the short story format um, is is a little interesting because of course this story will no more end with the death of Voldemort than the first one did because it's not about him it's not about that it's about um, these two characters coming together in a sentinel guide bond so it's it's been interesting to write but we do have some writing questions let's see Well, Rogue looking has for the writing question. Titles. Rogue has what? Um, oh, titles. Rogue has problems with doing t- titles. I um, find my inspiration in music more often than not. You might have noticed. Um, uh, I think that you have to be careful. Like with me, sometimes if I slap a temporary title on, it is really difficult to get rid of that temporary title. So I try mm-hmm. to do that. Um. So I try to fall in love with my title in the beginning and, and have one because if I 
Because I'll get married at temporary title, and, and if, especially if it's a ridiculous temporary title. And I'm like, I cannot call this story Big like Gay Love in Canada. And yet, five years later, it is still called Big Gay Love in Canada. And it's yeah, I've got a couple. I've got a couple stories where, even though I renamed them to something reasonable, um, that in my head. I don't remember the real titles anymore because they're still the working title. The working title I had for however long I had that story in process is what's in my head, and I cannot remember the real title without having to look it up or really stop to think about it because the working title gets really entrenched. So and there's reasons why I would never name anything Come to Jesus, but the working title for I don't know what the fuck that story's called. <laughs> it was um, I think it's on Evil Author Day, but in my head, it's that's the title, and I would never actually put it. You know, a story. With, yeah, it's because I because I didn't come up with the title first. So, as much as I don't always want to come up with a title right away, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and do it because a, a bad working title can just no, not impetus. Um, impetus that would say the title. It's it's the it's the. Tony goes to Beacon Hills and sets shit to write story. Um, huh. I have any idea what I actually ever named that story because in my head it's the Come to Jesus story. Um, and that's the problem because right? then you're like, you got your readers thinking, I bet she didn't even write that. <laughs> she doesn't remember her own shit. Yeah, it's terrible. But, so, but it's because you don't want to, um, you know. It's because I that in that title I called it that when I first started writing that story, like more than two years ago. Um, react, is it react? React, yes, react. That's yes, the title. Yes. So, so, yeah. so I started calling it that um, more than two years ago. So when I revisited it, it was you know I always remembered it as the Come to Jesus story, and. Um, and uh, when I went to, I got, I got to come up with a real name for it. It's got to have a real title. And then I titled it. But and I came up with a title for all three of the stories in the universe at the same time. But I can never remember them because it's the Come to Jesus stories. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a problem. Um, let's see. Titles. So. I've mentioned before that one of the things that I, I do with titles is when I see a, a song that I think would make a good story title, I um, put it in a list. Um, and then I revisit that list or just anything that I think might someday be a good story title, a word that's evocative in some way. Tell you, evocative could be a good story title. Some words just seem like they'd be more likely to be a story title. So I just have this long list, and I'll consult it when I am struggling for inspiration or um, a story. The next thing I would do is go into iTunes and just start browsing the list of things. Um, Another would be to take what my inspiration song is and look at the lyrics, which you actually did for me today because I hadn't thought to do it. I did. Um, I did. You did. I named her sequel. She did. She named my sequel to Stick Around. So I was on it and I needed to name save the file name and um, I was like I need a title and I, I feel stuck 
So um, here I went and looked at the um, lyrics for Stick Around by ACDC because I was using ACDC songs for both of my rough trades this year. And uh, she found a piece of the lyric that would work really well for the next story. So, um, if so, that you're, so your work, writer tribe is good for that, you know. Writer tribe is very good for, for title brainstorming. Um, I title brainstormed with somebody for like a couple hours one day, and we kind of got a little cracky with the titles, but I came up with some really funny humorous titles that I might that are on a list now that I might want to use someday. So when all I think I once named um what a Chris story for Rough Trade once that I named that I titled in the podcast. <laughs> like the Wolf King or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, her her MCU story. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes you you know, it just, it just happens that way it can be a very organic process. Now for me when it comes to titles because I am a plotter and I do um um, Julie was recently exposed to um, exposed to one of my plot documents, um, with which I call a um, a storyboard, um, which isn't a traditional storyboard with pictures and stuff. It's it's uh, just a big list of plot points, and um, I tend to sometimes put dialogue in the midst of my plot points. So, like if I have something that I want to be said during a scene, um, and sometimes I will get my dialogue um, in my head as I'm plotting. And there's actually a story that I did during Rough Trade where I named it based on a piece of dialogue that I knew I was going to write at some point. And it's um, from green to blue or blue to green. It was my um, my Alpha Chronicle story for John and Rodney when John um, comes along as a Sentinel and goes to Atlantis to get his guide. And it's because of their eye color. And when I was thinking about um, that final scene where they were going to be, you know, bonding and having sex, um, that kind of popped into my head, their, um, their eye color. And, um, I wrote from blue to green, green to blue, I forget how I did it in my plot document. Uh, so when I went to write, when I went to put the project files up, I thought, oh, well, there's my title. <laughs> Cause it was just, it was right there. And then I had to remember to definitely work that that phrasing into my story later, you know, to um, to make the title make sense. <laughs> I um I but, had one that was titled that way. It's because it was death of death. And actually, I had somebody ask me once if, if it, oh, maybe I should say on Ao3 they remarked that um that the way I stuck the title into the dialogue um felt. Ham, kind of ham-fisted or clunky or something like that. But actually, it was a piece of dialogue that I had noted that I wanted said, and that's what I decided to pull the title from. So it was the reverse of what they were accusing me of. <laughs> but it was still kind of a very bizarre <laughs> thing. To I love this story, except for the way that you kind of ham-fistedly shoved the title into the um, into the dialogue. I was like, uh, hello. <laughs> took the title from the dialogue, you asshole. <laughs> but even if I, I hadn't, you don't get to question me on that. Go away. Right? That's my title. You can title your shit whatever you want to title your shit. And, like, I have an Inception story um, in the works, uh, and there's an EAD excerpt, and the title of the damn story is a dusty song title, title, not or- a song, but, but the actual, it's a Dusty Springfield song. That's the title of the story. <laughs> 
<laughs> not the actual song title. Because <laughs> I was great. thinking, at the time, I really didn't remember why I had done that. So I put the author notes, so I have no idea why I did that. And then when I was looking at my plot document, I found that phrase, a Dusty Springfield song. What I was supposed to do is look up a Dusty Springfield song. <laughs> but like I said, sometimes temporary titles will stick in my head and then I'm stuck with them and that's what happened. Yeah. Now I have had a few stories where the title came first where basically first, like I started having an inkling of an idea um, and the title was just in that idea and perfect was that. Is I, I said I wanted to write a story about a pairing that's not a sentinel guy story where the, where the match isn't perfect. I want an imperfect match. And that was as far as I had gotten with my idea was an imperfect match. And I go, and I'll title it imperfect. <laughs> and then I went from there with the plotting. So that was kind of like this little germ of an idea, and the title was buried in that idea. Um, sometimes a friend names a story for me wholesale. Um, Senna titled Is Sound Please Return. I had no idea what to call that story. And that was her first suggestion, and I went with it. One time I did, I was doing art for, he, original Tempest waited until the last minute to sign up for Rough Trade. And he goes, what should I title these stories? So I sent him two, two titles. He didn't even have plots. So he had titles and art. And that was it. He said, I'll figure something out. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> hysterical. I, he told me what his pairings were. I put, and he said, just give me titles so I can sign up. And so I put the titles on his art, told him what they were, and he, he went and signed up. <laughs> I think while titles are important, it's also important not to get bogged down too much in your title um, and recognize that even if you're in the midst of a rough trade challenge, after you finish rough trade, if you finished your story and a, your title no longer fits, then you are, you can change it. <laughs> That's yes, you your can. Shit. Can change the title of your shit after it's up on AO3. People will have to suck it up. You might put an author note saying you changed the title or not. Because that's your shit. And you can do what you want with it. But, uh, yeah, don't get too bogged down in the title. Um, but if you are the type that will marry your idea to a temporary title... Be careful what your temporary title is. Otherwise, you get stuck with a story called Big Gay Love Canada. <laughs> Big Gay Love in Canada. <laughs> it's and it's it's in our heads now too. So you've totally ruined it. <laughs> it is stuck, stuck, stuck. I I I think if I would have to give it an alternate title, title it would be like real title or Big Gay Love in Canada. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes I see sometimes like really long titles. People come up with really I've seen art for somebody one day and their title I could barely fit it on the art. It was so long. And so I sent them a version with just part of it cut off, you know? And so I don't think that you necessarily need this piece. And um they were really uncertain if they you know, if they really could cut that piece out. Um 
And, and I said, and I would even suggest shortening it further to just, you know, this. Um, I think they ultimately went with the middle one, not the super short one. But um, So if you have a really long title, if that's what you come up with, something really long, like some really long phrase, like, you know, um, Harry Potter and the guy who pulled the sword from the stone in the woods, um, try to take a piece of your really long title rather than the really long title. Because there's probably a, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. a uh, short title, but, a reasonable short title in, in that. But Rogue, um, if it is a problem for you, and if it is, and, and you've acknowledged it, it's great that you've figured out that this is a stumbling block for you, and there's there are techniques you can do to manage it. Um, going into a story... Sometimes I do something called plotting, and I have put examples of it up before on in um, in the RT group that's now called the Writers Table um, on Facebook. And basically, it's where I'll put my characters' names in the middle of a piece of paper and write circles around them, and then I'll draw lines out, and then I'll write themes, and I'll make little clouds around my characters' names. And if you do that and you explore the themes of your story, like there's like there's loss, there's grief, there's love. Um, and you and you look through all these themes that you have, then go over to thesaurus.com and put your number your um your your list in, and look at various um, adjectives for your uh, your themes. Like um, if the song titles aren't working for you, go over and look at you know all the words that mean love or all the words that mean bravery or, and then just start playing with those words until you find something that really strikes your, um, your theme and then make, and then make that your title, call it done. Because in the end, while, while your title, your title will never ever be as important as your first line and your last line. Right. I did find the link to in the writer's table where Kira put up a sample of cloud plotting. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. If you're, if you're not a member of the writer's table, you'll be able to see that. But for those of you who are on Facebook and you're members of the group, you should be able to get to her sample of cloud plotting, which was still in the photo archive in the group. And I have actually just... Um, tagged the post with cloud potting so if you look at um the tags you'll be able to find it that way tags are a really cool new feature of groups on facebook and um yeah the writer's table awesome. does have tags so and i did just tag it with pot with, with cloud plotting so you'd be able to find it um and yeah there, there are online generators for titles like you know random generators and some of them are really cracky and hilarious and funny um but they can give you ideas but i think Early on in, in my in my career as a writer, that I focused a lot on themes and the meaning, you know, the the, the deeper meaning behind words and um, and motivations and actions and um, and events. Like for instance, with the birth of the Serpent King, um, I named that. I titled that story The Birth of the Serpent King because that is the central theme of the story. The central theme of the story is Harry waking up as a parcel mouth and recognizing his first 
his first shape. His first serpent shape. Not his only one, but his first one. And it's because he was bit by the basilisk, which you learn in part two, um, which is still plotting. And I've written four chapters of it. Um, and that book, is the second book is called Dragon Rising because that's about Draco coming into his gift and his power and um, finding his animagus form, which, which is a dragon. Uh, and he only has one, but he wasn't bit by a basilisk. So, but that's the reason that the book ended where it ended because um, I talked about this before about how, how Harry um, accepted his parcel magic and he relaxed and he allowed it to happen. And there's that scene where um, the little metal snake that Salazar Slytherin made in the, that's in the doorway of the Slytherin common room breaks free and talks to Harry and he doesn't hesitate. He he is um, he is embraced who and what he is, and that's a that that's a really big moment of awakening for Harry as a character. And he takes this little metal snake and he talks to it in parcel tongue in front of all these people, and doesn't even blink. And then he gives it to Draco. <laughs> and it's it's about his birth as the Serpent King. So if you even if you're not a plotter. You can still think about the central themes of your work and what's going to be important to your character. You can think about your external and and internal motivations and um, create a list of of catchwords that you can use to generate titles. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, and if you one of the things if you've got somebody in your little writing group, your 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 personal circle of writers that you work with, that titles in a way that you like and that is compact because people title differently like there are people that I read their work where I think their titles are utterly bizarre and I could not ask because I know that any suggestion they would give me for how to title is going to be way off of what I'm comfortable with but if there's somebody who titles in a way that you're compatible with um, and you guys are you know there's somebody you can easily go to and say this is my idea I'm struggling for a title and see what they come up with because it's it's like writing summaries. Sometimes it's a lot easier for somebody else to write your summary than it is for you to do it. Oh, I suck at summaries. You you might have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you suck at them. They're usually very brief. <laughs> they're, <laughs> because they're, I hate them. It's more like here, read my bri- shit. You know I'm awesome. <laughs> they're brief. Here's the parent. Here's the warnings. What more do you need? <laughs> Yeah. I had somebody who, based upon my summary, hadn't read a story. It was like the only story of mine, I guess, they hadn't read. And they thought it was going to be an epic angst fest. And um, I just don't have any of those. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not that big on it either. I think my so angst if- work would probably be constant buying, and it's not all that angsty. It's more kinky than it is anything else. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I'm- I think memories is probably that the Gibbs character study is probably my angstiest work. Um, but, you know, because sometimes, but sometimes summaries are, you know, they, they, they can convey the wrong thing about, although I guess maybe the story she thought was angsty, maybe my angstiest work. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, which is the, the, um, I wasn't waiting for you, which is the story with um, Hotch and Tony where, 
um, Haas rejects the bond at first, and Tony hunts the replicator who's after the team. Anyway, that probably is my angstiest work in terms of the action and the story, but I think emotionally the angstiest story is memories. Um, but the summary, even though I don't particularly, I'm not really an angst writer, you know, that's a case of where, it, I, the way I wrote the summary, was enough to turn somebody off who was not looking to read angst. So, um, it does. Um, it, 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 even the title kind of says, this is going to break your heart. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But but Rogue, um, if you don't like your title, in the end you can change it. You know, um, don't force yourself to to love something at the end when you're done with the story. Um, and if you read through your story, a lot of times you'll find your title there. Yeah. Either in the themes or in the dialogue or. Um, in uh in the first part of what might have been, I did not name that story until um, John and Rodney are actually t- on their date, and I was listening to a song. Um, <laughs> I <don't>, yes, <laughs> I and um, it wasn't the fir- it wasn't the first story of yours I read. But when I was scrolling down your story list on your site to pick what I was going to read. And I scrolled past what might have been. I went, oh, it's like a little Texas song. <laughs> it that was, was the only thought that went through my head. Song. Now, I didn't name the series until after I actually published um, We've Taken Different Roads, which is the first story in that um, series. But it was um, all of the songs in that series are song lyrics or song titles. Because I had a theme, you know, I had a theme. But um, the whole theme of those stories is what might have been, what might have happened if McKay didn't go um, to Atlantis. This is what might have happened. And um, that's, you know, it's a very organic process. But if it's not organic and you pick something out and you get it down and you and you do your writing, and you get to the end, and your title really doesn't work. And if anybody complains about it, tell them to kiss my butt. You say, Kira says you kiss her ass. Straight up. I, too, am happy to do title shenanigans. It's one of my favorite things to do and take credit for. <laughs> <laughs> I named that. <laughs> there was uh, and you know, early on in my career, and um, I'm not like I'm gonna give a year, but there was a year where three different books that I uh, titled ended up on the New York bestseller list, and I was like, "Son of a bitch!" <laughs> That's wow, she's got, she's got she's she's got magic ti- magic titling powers. I am leaving the RWA. <laughs> you guys are using me. But no, I mean, it's just because I was in a bunch of RWA groups. And um, it's just, uh, you know, you get together and, and you do that kind of thing. And I was like, well, look at that. <laughs> it's not quite the same thing as having my own name up there, but it'll do. And you don't always have to, you don't have to, you don't have, there doesn't always have to be a direct link between 
the title, if you pick a song title, and you can say that this is, you know, titled after the song, blah, 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 by whoever, um, it does not necessarily have a, any bearing on the story if you're going with a song title. For instance, um, I picked two ACDC songs for my stories this year. I think the reason why is patently obvious, um, but... Um, the first one, Send for the Man, really has very little to do with the story at all. But Stick Around have, have a lot more to do with the story. So It just kind of builds chance, the though. whole thing. It was really awesome. Um, I told yeah. Julie that her second story is my favorite. Because <laughs> I'm really kind of in love with Dom, and I'm like, <sighs> what is this? <laughs> And can we just say how well she earned her NC-17? (laughs) Holy shit. I started to call her happy, okay? (laughs) You and I, we were talking about, I said, look, I don't feel, I wrote you and we were talking about that I didn't feel like I could write 50K in a 20K challenge. I didn't feel like it was in the spirit of the challenge. So I was looking for a place to cut it off. And... I had been thinking that I would, you know, take them probably a sex scene of where you get the relationship to the next level and then um, move on. And um, you you had sent me the same exact advice is give them like write a write a really good you said you said quote I think you said quote write a really good sex scene kind of give them a happily ever after moment and um, and then let that be let it let it let it end there. I said well, I'm gonna make it a really happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> the phone is definitely got a happy um, ending. <laughs> I did. I did get an email from a lady who was uncomfortable commenting publicly how much she enjoyed the story because she couldn't stop blushing <laughs> after reading that last part. Um, but the thing is, I was in the middle of that. I was sitting in the living room in the middle of that sex scene, um, like dead in the middle of it. And my sister walked in and sat down and started watching TV right next to me. And I went, well, <laughs> huh. <laughs> I, feel a case, I feel a case of writer's block coming. <laughs> totally ruined that for me. Thank you, Cockblocker. <laughs> Tony was about to get it. I just want you to know. <laughs> but, no, yeah, but sometimes I mean, I, you know. Sometimes I, I, I rate. Anytime I write sex, I tend to rate NC seventeen. I rate it NC seventeen, just in case. But I would say more of my sex scenes come in as R rating, um, and uh, I was like, right, wrote that one, and I kind of scratched my head when I was done. and went, yeah, that was NC seventeen. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you own that. You were all up in it. I am rarely anything but NC seventeen. Um, it's it's either all the sex or no sex. All the sex. <laughs> it's either feast or famine. <laughs> There's no in between for me, really. You would not believe how difficult it was in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond to keep it as clean as I did for as long as I did. <laughs> I should get a fucking award for that. <laughs> and it wasn't that clean. <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyways. Um, but like Julie said, you don't have to, um, 
Sometimes your title only has meaning to you, and that is perfectly okay. You don't have to explain your title to anybody. And it doesn't have to be obvious. Like, honestly, when I do publish that Inception fic, and I will never change the title, it will still be called a Dusty Springfield song. And I'm not going to explain it to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And I find that people rarely ask about titles. Rarely. Um, Even the ones that are kind of inscrutable. It's occasionally somebody that goes, what does this title mean? But in the course of my writing, it's pretty minimal. The number of people who actually... I will say, as I'm sitting here, I remember the title that I meant for that story. Um, Which was? Son of a Preacher Man. A Son of a Preacher Man. (laughs) The the Son of a Preacher Man. And uh, that was my idea that Arthur is actually the son of a a preacher and his wife. Well, if the Um, title come up, if if you publish it with um, a Dusty Springfield song, and with that content, somebody's inevitably going to comment, oh, like son of a preacher man, I get it. Ha ha ha. A little Easter egg, you know. <laughs> a little yeah. Easter egg, but yeah, I did a. You know, I, I was sitting here thinking about it, and I was like, "That's what it was." It just kind of popped into my head years later. But yeah, when I went to put the excerpt up on the website, I had not titled the file anything. And I'm looking through my plot document, trying to figure out where I put the title, and I had not put the title. I just put that note, and that's what ended up being the title. And now it's there. It's gone, and it's forever. I'm married to it. And I have a hard time enforcing my titles. Um, So the next thing that we um, was mentioned in the chat room was binge writing, um, which is also another version of feast or famine. You either write for ten hours or you can't write for ten minutes. Um, I think we we all go through phases like that. One of the ways that I manage myself is to write every day. I make it a point to carve myself out at least an hour of writing every day. if I get an hour, I'm happy. If I get five hours, I'm I'm happier. Um, but I give myself an hour, um, and then I don't punish myself mentally or otherwise for the product. If I write 300 mm-hmm. words, fantastic. If I work three, if I write 3,000 words, awesome. I'm gonna put that on Facebook. <laughs> I wrote 3,000 words today. I don't, but I'm just saying, um, celebrate your accomplishments, but don't punish yourself for perceived failures, because writing 300 words is just as awesome as writing 3,000 words. Yeah. I will say, I I, I think that earlier in the year that if you wrote 100 words a day at the end of the year, you would have a novel. Yep. A small novel, but a novel nonetheless. And I think that one of the things that people can do is that, especially if you're a procrastinator by nature, um, is some people don't write, a lot of people who don't write between challenges, which makes rough trade easier for them than, say, a bang, where they have to finish something and they're working on their own as opposed to working in a collaborative environment, which is one of the reasons why I like both is because they appeal to two different aspects of the way I write. So... I like working in the I like working in the environment with other writers where we're all kind of doing the same thing, but I also like having projects to work on that get me writing every day kind of thing. Uh, and I try mm-hmm. to write every day. There's sometimes I, I do something with writing every day. Um, I don't always manage like 
words on a story, but if I spend an hour plotting, I count that as writing. Um, there comes a point, though, if all you ever do is plot, that you need to, you need to, have, you need to, have, a, need to have a think about that. But um, um, I, I do know a few people who burn themselves out in challenge. Um, and that's, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not, not necessarily anything wrong with that unless it, it makes you kind of dread the challenge or um, it gets in the way of other writing you want to do. Like you don't pace yourself well, so then you're burned out for months and you don't want to pick up and write anymore. Um, it, participating in a challenge, I think if participating in a challenge burns you out such that you don't want to write for months, then you need to slow your pace a little bit. You know, don't burden yourself out. That's not the goal. So, but I mean, we all have binges, and I get tend to get more done in a rough trade month than I would um, in, a, in any other kind of month. The only time that I feel a little bit burned out is usually after Nano, and it's because Nano comes to an end around Thanksgiving and all these family expectations and leading into the holidays and. It's not the writing, though, that makes you feel burned out. It's all the other stuff I'm trying to do. But if you're consistently feeling burned out when you do challenges, try to find a way to pace yourself a little bit better because burning yourself out and then not wanting to write for three or four months is, I wouldn't think, would be the goal. Unless you like it. If you like it, you do you. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think you should. Um, I, yes, binge writing happens to all of us. I, I have, um, I um, famously admitted to writing Birth of the Serpent King in about 22 days, and it's over 100K. Mm-hmm. And, of course, anybody who witnessed Julie's debut on <laughs> on Rocker <laughs> Hello, emergence. I was like, and it's because, because she was she was really challenging to me. I was like, Look at this heifer. So I had to like set my game up, right? So I think between us, we probably produced two, two fifty, three hundred k in a month. In a month, three hundred. Yeah, I. By the time by the time I stopped posting because the holidays got busy, I was at one hundred eighty. But I got one hundred fifty done in November, and you were right on pace with me. So it was three hundred in that month. Which yeah. is why when we challenged each other to the hundred k challenge which was when we did Darkly Loyal and Subversive. Um, mm-hmm. That was a single – no, it wasn't Darkly Loyal. Darkly Loyal was a single POV. It was Slytherin Black. I oh, this, did. Yeah, it was Slytherin um, Black and Darkly Loyal. That was the 100K challenge. Slytherin Black yeah. and Darkly Loyal. Yeah. Um, that wasn't – 100K wasn't a big stretch for us because we'd already done 150. <laughs> um, but the 100K wasn't the official challenge. That was a challenge between me and her. Um, I would never put 100K in a month on RT as a challenge because I design challenges on RT to be doable for most people. Most people. I don't want to say it in a way that would be rude. Um, it, is, it is most. Some people, some people know that 50K is too much for them, but it's 50K in November because it's nano, and that is the nano challenge. So... Um, it's to write a novel in the month. And some people, if you if you achieve forty or forty five k in a month, you should not feel like you failed anything at all. No, not at all. So, if congratulations! 50K feels like a lot. 
Right. If 50K feels like a lot for you and you dread the idea of trying to write 50K in a month and you get out there and you do it and you only do 40K, don't use the words, I only did 40K. Go, I did 40K. Can you believe that? Look, at, I, I didn't think I could do any. <laughs> I was terrified to sign up because I wouldn't be able to finish, but I got 40K done. And you should celebrate the fuck out of that. I mean, just revel in that accomplishment because most people will never in their life write 40,000 words at all, much less in one month. So if you can't do 50K, who cares? Sign up and try, and if you get 30K done, it's 30K you didn't have before. And we will It'll celebrate awesome. the fact that you were 30K. And if you write sign up for a short story challenge and you blow it by 5,000 words. <laughs> it's still okay. Try again next year. Now, I'm going to be honest. I more often than not fail the short story challenge every year in July. I keep doing it because it is a weakness for me and it is something that I want to um, to master because uh, the short story is uh, a rapidly disappearing art form. Um and I think it's really important for us, for, for as, as writers, to to keep that skill and to nurture that skill in each other. Um, so, um, yeah. I think I nailed it one year. I think, no, one of them went over. Um, I got two in under and one went over. So I was, but if I can get one in, that's an improvement over what happened this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... You know, sometimes an idea is just bigger than you can reasonably accomplish. So you just go, okay, I missed the mark with this one. And I mean, I'm learning something new about my my process every time I don't hit it. And uh, this time it was a combination of a bigger bigger cannon. Um, it was also um, dialogue. I mean, I. If I have a lot of conversations that need to happen, and both stories are conversation heavy, um, they just—I'm—I'm I'm almost double what my estimations are, <laughs> which is kind yeah, of yeah. I have a hard time explaining um, dialogue too, which is why I cut, had to cut both stories in half. So it's, it's not like I'm I went a chatty five. bitch and I turn all my characters into chatty bitches too. I mean, I don't know. I'm a chatty Kathy. Who knew? I think you guys might have had a clue. <laughs> But binge writing, um, I sometimes, when, when things are flowing, if things are flowing, I love a good writing binge. When it's just, when it's like I sit down to write and I look up and I, you know, two hours have passed and there's 5,000 words that there weren't there before and it's just, it's just pouring out. And I love that. And if I can do that, I had one day, I think I wrote 13,000 words in one day. That's the most I think I've ever written in a single day. Um, I probably could if I let myself, like, stiffen up and become, like, a little claw person, write 20,000 words in a day, but I try not to actually traumatize my body on a writing binge. Um, the only time I I've do ever know a, a writer thing, in real life who regularly binges um, 50. That's scary to me. I mean, my body would hate me. I mean, I already have physical limitations that make writing for long stretches hard anyway 
and to write that much would just be uh, but she tends to write ever... um three to four months a year and then spends the rest of the year um editing that's what you de- that's what it would have to take too because when, when you pump out that much the more you pump out this is my experience and i know several writers who have the same experience is that the faster it's coming out the more typos there are so yeah you're going to have more you're going to have more time in editing because you know what those words are. So the first time you read them, you're going to miss half your typos. But um, the only time it's ever a problem for me, this is a weird little thing, is if my binges are in the middle, beginning, middle of a story, I pick right back up the next day and keep going. If my binge takes me to the end of a story, there's this weird letdown that's difficult to recover from. It's not like, I don't mean that I get writer's block, but it's just kind of this, oh, it's over kind of thing. It's it's like this, it's like you feel bereft, and it's difficult to transition to another project right away. I had that so problem my with right- according Hermione Granger. I was like, I don't want to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my story? You know, and you're kind of like you've you've been in this so much. I mean, if you're in a story so much that you get a writing binge going on, and that and that binge takes you to the end, it's really difficult to emotionally pull yourself out of that. And it's like, but it's done. And I know me; I can't go right into an edit. If I do that, it's almost pointless because I'm not going to see the mistakes. I need at least a couple weeks before I go and try to edit something. And um. So it's like when I get when I take when I get rid of a writing binge, I think it was Sense of a Man that I had a binge at the end. And I I'd already planned to take a break between stories because the rough trade where I finished on the tenth was a really hard one for me. <laughs> so we had three stories that month and I finished on the tenth. Um I told her next year if she finishes early, I'm gonna assign her a random prompt. That goes for you too, Ellie. <laughs> Here you go, Ellie. Finish, finish early at your own peril. There'll be a there'll be a new page on the site with art and your name on it. I'll let you know. <laughs> she she'll do it too. But uh, I was so bummed the year I and I didn't think I would be. But I mean <laughs> the bitch the bitches had to deal with me moping the whole fucking month because I I finished all three stories. But I did my last post on the ten. I took one day break. I did a two day break. Because I each did each story in three parts, but the third story I did in two parts. So there were a total of eight parts posted. So there was a two-day break in there, and um, and then I was like, well, what now? <laughs> Rough trade's still going on. Everybody's doing this thing, and I've just written myself right out of the challenge. <laughs> like I'm not doing that again. Ellie missed it. I said next year if you finish early during July, I'm going to randomly assign you a prompt. And put it up on the site and give you art and everything. Really, we're talking about really early, like more than ten days early. But you did, like, girl. yeah. You were the first one done. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, um, I don't know. So I didn't want to finish that early this time, um, but I had gotten in a binge at the end of Send for the Man, and I had planned to take a break between the two stories anyway. But I really needed that break this time because I had such a letdown, and I really didn't want to go into stick around on a, on that low note, of feeling kind of bereft um, from finishing that one story, kind of in a creative surge. 
So mm-hmm. I took that break. Um, I'm just teasing, Ellie. I would never um, um, put you in a bad place as a writer. Um, <laughs> but if you do finish early next year, I'll be like, do you want a writing prompt? <laughs> Here's some pretty you art. You can always your decline. <laughs> you can always decline. Make I just, sure she knows the fandoms you like. So. I just want to encourage your productivity and keep you inspired and active in our challenge. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, no. So, but yeah, binge writing. If you are doing it a lot, I recommend that you get up and walk around, maybe get on the treadmill, <laughs> um, get on your stationary bike, go play with your dog, you know, whatever you got going on. Whenever I have a binge writing episode, I'm writing five, six, ten hours. I make myself get up and leave my desk at least every two hours um, to give yourself a uh, mental and physical break. It's very important. Um, and I think it really helps to, to prevent burnout. Mm-hmm. To get up and walk away. You need to eat. You need... I... My biggest clue that I've fucked up with my writing is when I get to my post and I can't see anymore. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding about that. What happens when I'm in a writing binge, when I get in a really creative mode, my blink rate slows down. And I'm staring fixedly at my computer for too long. And when I start shifting my focus around, my eyes are so dry that my vision's blurry. And I'll post, and I like won't be able to see the screen anymore. <laughs> I'll be like... Okay, that wasn't good. <laughs> so if I have to I have I have made an error minute, in judgment. Yeah. If I have to run for the eye drops the minute I pose, I needed to do something different. And setting timers, you know, sometimes it really hurts to stop what you're doing, but it's actually really good for you. But if you're not writing, like I said, carve yourself out an hour and sit down and try to write. If there's nothing happening, open up your works in progress. If that doesn't work, think about plotting something. Think about some new ideas. Make a little idea folder. Um, go online. Download some pictures of really hot actors. Um, listen to some music. Go to YouTube and watch some fan videos. Um, eat some chocolate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And having spent your hour trying to be creative, get up and walk away. Because well, Evie mentioned this for an hour and you've not got yourself in the mood to write, you're not going to write and you're just torturing yourself at this point. So pick out something to read, um, get some more chocolate, <laughs> download some more, more pictures chocolate. of Tom <laughs> And Evie Watch mentioned the short prompt on the rough trade. Kira, mm-hmm. Kira and I have both had story ideas that I, I didn't intend it at the time. But sometimes I go and do one of those prompts when I'm feeling a little bit blocked um, because I'm just usually writing a scene, right? And um, I've had a couple of, like, scenes I wanted to take to fill bigger stories. So, you know, filling a prompt, um, writing that thousand words could lead to, in Kira's case, it led to hold my coffee. Right. That was originally a um, rule... What's that? 63? 53? Mm-hmm. Rule 63. 63. Yeah. yeah. Um, prompt that I wrote. I wrote one for John and one for um, McKay. Um, and the John one is still up in its original form, but the one that I had called Meredith um, became the first became the first scene in the first part of Hold My Coffee. 
which was written out of spite. And I fully admit that. Spite can be a motivator. So don't discount it. This is not like, you know, people say, oh, you have to do it for you. Sometimes doing something out of spite is doing it for you. It will make you feel that much better. Right. Vindication was mine. Like, they still tell me what to do. It is. Spidey, spite writing is like grudge sex. And it can be just as satisfying. It's sort of like putting rimming scenes in all of your uh, your your het stories despite your het readers. That can be really satisfying. Don't tell me to, don't tell me to warn for Bottom Jack, okay? I uh, you guys can look Jack? forward to Bottom Jack. The next time there's a Jack scene for Jack O'Neill, Jack's getting it. And I'm not going like, to warn for it. And uh, his partner is going to be shopping at Bad Dragon, so, you know, <laughs> get set. I'm just so annoyed by that. He's going to be a major size queen. He's going to be a major size queen. Well, speaking of, I read a really good fic once. Uh, it was a porn fic. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was a plot what plot um, story about John Shepard and Jack O'Neill. This is before... Um, I really wrote a whole lot where um, I kind of put Jack in a fatherly role for John. So now I don't know if I can actually read this story or not. But um, John is fixing to leave to go on Atlantis. And um, Jack comes around his room and uh, there's a little bit of negotiating about who's going to be on bottom. And Jack admits that he hasn't gotten, um, he hasn't been on bottom in decades. And John's like, you're poor ass. Let, let me help you out with that. And he does. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally the line I remembered. Your poor ass. Your poor ass. <laughs> That's what popped. That's just, it's in my head permanently. Random thing, folks. Random thing. I just got to insert the random thing. Is if you're writing a sex scene, anal sex scene, don't describe it as being, you know, like the agonies of the damned. Because if anal sex hurt that bad, people would never want to do it again. <laughs> so, ever. You know, ever. Even whether it's during or after. Like, I read stories sometimes where people wake, they wake up the next day and, like, they have an agony of pain all the way up and down their back and they can barely walk. It's like... No. No, <laughs> no, 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 that's not how that works. If you can't function the next day, you are never doing that again. You just, you know, it doesn't matter how much you enjoy it at the time, you're not going to do it again. So it's just a little bit of a real, real reality check is that it, it should not cause that much pain. Um, I don't know what, why, what people get out of, you know, and anal also, sex being torturous, um, but. Ladies. A man's anus works no different than your own. Right. Okay? That is one hole that you and your man pretty much exactly the same on the outside and on the inside, except for he has a prostate and you don't, um, which would be a hot button for some men and too sensitive for others. But um, if you're curious as to how it would feel to have a penis in your ass and you don't want to actually trust a man to do this roll a condom onto your favorite dildo stick it up your butt 
and explore that with lubrication. Lots of lube. Carefully. Carefully with lots of lube. Um, it is. Uh, I have never had painful anal sex. I haven't either. Um, it should not be agonizing. And if it is agonizing, your top is a total sorry motherfucker, and you need a new one. You need a new one like yesterday. And you know Kira don't play with little dicks. I'm just saying. You got to be this long to take a ride on this. <laughs> I have never actually been in a room with a bad dragon dildo, and I'm not sure I want to. Yeah, I don't know which one this was either. It was freaky looking. Actually, there were several. There were several. And I would imagine the big ones, the big bad dragon dildos, I think they cost several hundred dollars. Um I have never seen anybody's ass that flexible in my entire life. I was just like, whoa. And I, it was one of those things just like you kind of can't stop watching, but it was more like a, like a circus sideshow than it was, you know, anything else. I was like, how much more can she put up her ass? <laughs> I want to watch the woman in a porn video take a wine bottle. This is quite a bit bigger than a wine bottle. Yeah. She had used something as big as a wine bottle. And the wine bottle made my stuff hurt. I was like, no, oh, no, I know. girl, stop, stop, stop. She started. She started off with these, I will say, anal beads. I don't know that you could call them anal beads, and they're the size of baseballs. Um, anal golf balls. <laughs> yeah, she, she she was. This was no, and that's what she started with. I was like, wow, wow. Um, okay, that was the start, and then she. It's like it was like an hour long video of her progressively getting more and more and more. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a hobbit to ass. Oh, my God. It is Azure. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, your part of your part. Your part. she put a hobbit up there. Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying. Start with something small, though, ladies. If you're experimenting, start with something small. But something with a and base. And don't let okay? a man that you don't trust really well. Really, really well use anything on you, his own penis or a dildo in your ass. Um, I'm so serious. And your you gotta have dildo is skills. Your regular dildo is not okay. Don't use. It's got to have a, a flared base because we don't want to be responsible for you in the ER. For you in the ER with a lost something up your butt. So make sure it's got balls. Big or at one. least a flared base. Or a flared base. Um, I personally, if I was going to try it for the first time, I'd get a plug. Um, yeah, and they have some little starter ones, like little, little, little tiny ones. Very little. I got to put anal sex on the list. I'm going to add to this podcast after it's over. <laughs> the anal sex advisory. Anal sex and butt plugs. But yeah, so um, just. Um, for the binge writing, um, treat uh, your writing um, time like a job. Guard it zealously. Um, give yourself that hour every day, uh, and don't um, 
don't let anybody intrude on it and don't make excuses for it. This is what I'm doing. This is what makes me happy. I need you to go away for right now. This is my personal time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you for giving me this. I um, I used to watch porn for fun. I don't anymore because I watch so much of it for research. Um because if I want to describe a position, I kind of just, it's just the way my brain works. I'm not trying to describe a position that somebody's in. I need to see it. So um, I can describe it most effectively if I'm looking at it and not have it be just a hot mess that nobody can understand. Um, most recently, I came up with me writing a, a bondage scene, trying to describe the position of the character. And I needed to see it to describe it well. So, because it wasn't coming out right. Anyway, so, but once I started doing. Re- sex research. I stopped. <laughs> I stopped watching porn as much for fun. It's just one of those things. We research everything. We have some bizarre research things we do. I think our neck. I do still read porn for fun. I just don't watch it. Um, I prefer I our next porn topic personally. Yeah, I do too. Um. I think our next topic was first-person writing. Was that next? It was. It was first-person writing. Um, First-person writing um, can be very intimate and rewarding to the reader and the writer, or it can be the most frustrating experience of your life. I think, um, and this could be a controversial position, I think there are people who naturally write first-person very well, and then there are people who should never in their life attempt it. Well, I think everybody should try it. I think everybody should try every point of view except for second, you know, because I don't want to admit that that's a point of view. Um, <laughs> except for second. Except for second. Uh, but some people um, don't do it well and shouldn't bother. They shouldn't. I mean, it's just a waste of their time. Yeah. I have. True, but you true won't know if you're bad until you try under under this under this name, I can only point you to about a thousand words that I've ever written in first person. I do have a story I'm working on that's in first person, but um, I've only written about a thousand words in first person under this pen name. But in my old life, not all of it was published, but I my comfort zone for twenty years probably. Um. Yeah, well, probably 15 years, maybe a little longer. My comfort zone was first person. I've probably easily written more than a million words in first person. I've actually written way more in first person than I've written in third person. I just don't do it anymore. Uh, Learning to write in first, third person was actually really hard for me. And I started doing it because I wanted to stretch myself, but I kept lapsing into first person when I would write third person. So it was it was a difficult transition, but I sort of made myself do it. And and then I started I liking see, it better. I see see in your work, I see your um your first person um narrative. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's there. I mean I think that most of your work um could be easily very easily put into first person. I think it could be edited into first person a lot easier than mine could be. Um, because I think probably one of your natural writing states is probably first person. 
um, because you write a very, we talked before about POV and how I ride the top of the POV and she's in the basement. <laughs> yeah. I'm, to drown I'm in the attic, it. she's in the basement. <laughs> Because yeah. um, your your third person POV is very very deep, and a first person POV, if it is intimate and good, is as deep as possible. It is so deep and, that when you're writing, you you don't ever head hop. It doesn't yeah. even cross your mind to head hop. It is a it is a it you. In in some ways, you kind of become the character, um, and you don't head hop because you couldn't possibly know what the other person's thinking unless it's coming out of their mouth. Right. And that is one of the great advantages of what I actually think if you're struggling with, with head hopping, writing in first person just as an exercise is a good way to get you more awareness of POV. But... I this is my opinion. I'm gonna tell you this is my opinion. If if you want to, one of the one of the difficulties of writing first person point of view is you need to pick a POV, and you are gonna have to you have to know which character you're writing, and you got to get in there and stay in there. I do not subscribe to the alternating first person point of view thing. I think it's dumb. I actually I I've only read it and enjoyed it in my life, I think once, maybe twice. And the one time I enjoyed it, it was because it was two different writers writing a story together where the alternating was every other chapter of different, the other writer would chime in. So the, the voice was so different that it was not, it was not weird. Um, And also and they weren't retelling the same part of the story. A lot of times, alternating first person, you're retelling the same parts of the story in a different point of view. But there is a thing in published, especially in published um, fiction these days, of alternating a first person point of view, where every other chapter is a different character. And I hate Which it. Which is really infuriating. It's, I hate it too. I hate it. It it's just it's not it's not the way I ever learned to write first person. And one of the things that makes first person work. It's the author is getting in there and they are writing, giving you one character's voice to write that you're, you're anchoring in one person's narrative. And what winds up happening that I see more often than not is that both character voices wind up exactly the same. Um, because it's difficult. And yeah, that makes your narrative flat and mm-hmm. um, really boring. So my advice is if you want to write first person, is pick a character and inhabit that character. Um, be prepared for the fact that you're going to have to do some unnatural things to, not unnatural, but you're going to have to do things that may be unnatural to you to learn things where you would normally have switched point of view because you don't have that ability anymore. So you need to tell a story that can be told from one point of view. And when your character needs to learn something that they weren't present for, you're going to have to find unique and original ways for them to get that information and ways of imparting it that are not an info dump. So just be prepared for that. Um, And if your story really needs multiple points of view, don't tackle it in first person. You need a story you can tell from one point of view and get in there and do it. And then 
The next piece of advice I would give you is, well, I some people find it easier to write first-person present tense if they're a novice. I would actually personally discourage that because that will get you two, two in the headset, two, two in that character. Um, and it could actually stress you out. It's it's, it's a I consider that kind of method writing, kind of like method acting, and I don't think yeah. it's mentally healthy. But that's just me. I I tried it a few times of writing first person present tense. Um, I finished one story in first person present tense that I never share with anybody because um, I almost sounded emotionally traumatic. Uh, it was it was actually a pretty angsty story. And I shouldn't have written it in first person present tense. And by the time it was done, I was an emotional basket case. Um, I think I was having personality changes. It was not a happy place because I was so in the. It was so immediate. It was in my dreams. I mean, I couldn't let go of it. I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I really don't. Actually, the reason um, why I find second person so offensive as a reader, and why I find present tense so stressful to read, present tense is so urgent. I couldn't imagine first person on top of present tense. It would be like, it, no, it's just like having schizophrenia or something. I don't know. It, it, the, the whole idea makes my... <laughs> I've, I've read it a couple times in my life where I've enjoyed it. I think one author who wrote a story where I didn't even notice at first that it was in present tense. Um, but I will say I'm always, I'm always kind of high, strung and stressed out by the end of those stories because they are so immediate that you're being dragged along in that action in a, it's sometimes in a really freaky way. So uh, I would recommend starting, if you're going to do it, try first-person past tense. Even if you start lapsing into present tense, force yourself to go back to, to past tense. Um, and then the number one thing to avoid is self-reflective statements. It is so, so easy to go... I saw him do this. Well, duh. I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing about first person is everything. You don't need to say, um, I saw, because it's implicit in the point of view that you're the one doing the scene. If he, if, he, if he stole the money, you don't need to say you saw him steal. I saw him steal $5 out of the register in the narrative. You don't need to say that because there's nobody else to have seen it. He reached in and stole $5 out of the register. Because it's first-person point of view, it is implicit that the character that you're writing saw that action. Otherwise, he wouldn't know. <laughs> so I think one of the more interesting exercises yeah, you can do is to take a paragraph out of a work that you've already finished and rewrite it in first person. And I don't just mean and change the I and the, to the he or the he is the I. I mean rewrite that whole paragraph in first person because it will be an entirely new paragraph. It should be entirely new. It should. And actually, you should be able to cut a Unless lot of stuff out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some of mine would come out very similar because, you know, yeah. I have a, I do occasionally write something a little bit higher in the narrative, but my, my comfort is to write deep yeah. in the narrative to write a deep third person. That's my comfort zone. And um, and I really wasn't surprised when you told me that you actually preferred the single POV and that you yeah. really enjoyed the single POV chat. I, I wasn't surprised at all by that. <laughs> I was like, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised at all by that. <sighs> but if catch yourself, 
look up examples of self-reflective statements. And if you've ever read a really good first-person point of view story, sometimes the word I, you can go paragraphs without it occurring because the I is not necessary unless they're literally talking about something they're doing. You know, they don't need to say, um, I felt a bug sting my arm. A bug stung me. Uh, you know, a bug stung me. You don't need to say that you felt it because, of course, you felt it. So who else that self-reflective. Felt it? It's your arm. Yeah. <laughs> it's your arm. So that self-reflection, and people do it in third person too. Don't get me wrong. Self-reflection is a problem in third person narrative, but it isn't as glaring a problem in first person. I mean, in third person as it is in first person. In first person, it can cripple the narrative because it makes it heavy. It throws in all these extra words that don't need to be there and slow down the action referring back to the narrator. So, and it's... Because your reader doesn't need to be slapped in the face with your POV, regardless of your POV. If your POV is standing out in front of your story, front and center, you're not doing your job. Right. Because even in, even in third person, and when you think about it, let's say you're in third person, anytime you're in third person point of view, your POV should be clear to your reader. Whose point of view you're in should be clear. So if you're in Tony's point of view in third person, you don't need to say Tony saw, you know, Tim walk into the convenience store. It's just Tim walked into the convenience store. That's a, a, an example of self-reflective in third-person narrative. That if your narrative is structured well, you shouldn't need to refer back to the narrator. Sometimes you have to in third person because you have to make it clear everybody is he, everybody is he, she, they, right? So you have to a little bit, sometimes you do have to make it clear, you have to do a little bit of self-reflective on the narrator to distinguish them from everybody else. But when it comes to experiential stuff, like seeing something, hearing something, feeling something, it is the narrator's experience. You don't need to refer back to the narrator. Um, so it's not as obvious in third person. It doesn't jump out at you in third person, but it's still there. People still do it. But then people take that into, third per- into first person, and it goes from being kind of innocuous, not great, but kind of it blends in, to what the fuck? Why is this character constantly referring to themselves? We know who saw it. We know who did it. We know who, because it, there's only one person. So self-reflection it's like, is... It's like talking to yourself about yourself in third person. Well, Kira yeah, wouldn't do it's that. Weird. It's really I obnoxious. This. I did that. Yeah. So work on... Look at, you know, you got to work on the self-reflective thing. And sometimes that's not easy to do when you're writing it. But you need to be able to take a critical eye and go look at and be able to, um, you need to be able to spot a self-reflective statement and then work on not doing them. Uh, It's a bad habit you don't want to get into in a first-person narrative is constantly referring back to the narrator. So that would be, so... Pick a point of view that you can, and it has to be, don't for your first time out, do not pick a character you're not comfortable with. 
if it's a character you've never written before and you're not sure you're comfortable with their voice, you're going to flounder and you're not going to know if it's the point of view or that you picked something new. You need to, at first, rat, first time out, pick a character that you know. Pick a character that you're Inside and out. Yeah, and somebody you can get in and feel comfortable, say, you know, comfortable being in their headspace. There are some characters that I feel like I know well that I wouldn't want to inhabit for 50,000 words. So it has also, to be somebody that you can point. sit in um, Don't waltz your cute little ass into Nano trying to write first person if you've never done it. <laughs> Try a couple of prompts first. Try a thousand words. Um, I'll tell you what. If anybody wants to try first-person point of view, go write a prompt. Go write a thousand words. And you ping me, and I will let you know, because I can handle reading a thousand words. I'll let you know if you have if you are struggling with self-reflective statements, and we can talk about it. Yes, If you're going to ping me, though, you've got to be prepared to hear the answer. <laughs> I'm not going to critique anything else, but I will, I will work with you on self-reflective statements. Well, but my, my point is, is that you don't want to um, try something new, especially a new POV, um, in a big challenge like Nano, because um, Nano is a very a stressful experience for even people who have been writing for twenty or thirty years, um, and Nano is 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 a high octane challenge. I mean, you're writing 1,700 words a day if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and the last thing you need to be doing on top of that is battling um, a, a skill that you that is very new to you. Um, doing it during July, doing a short story challenge would be fine. Um, doing it even in um, April um, during the, the 30K challenge would be better than trying to do it during Nano. Mm-hmm. Because Nano is special because it's not just like just our rough trade people uh, participating. Like, a, well, in, there there is a there are challenges actually on the Nano site for April and July, but I don't really connect with those um, uh, as much as, as much as I do with Nano in November. But Nano is a is a worldwide a worldwide event. There are writers all over the world during the month of November writing 50k with you. It's um it's a very um it's like I say it's a high octane challenge and I would I personally would not um tackle a new skill during nano. And I've been writing for 30 years. No, I wouldn't either. I don't even think I would tackle a fandom that I was uncomfortable with. Um if it was new to me but something I felt solid about, I wouldn't hesitate, but if it was I wouldn't like I wouldn't tackle inception. In in the in a nano, I think the Inception fandom intimidates the fuck out of me. Quite frankly, I'm just saying, um, it, it does me too. The the quality of I writers in, in Inception fandom is stunning. Yeah, I don't know that I feel even up to the challenge of writing <laughs> Inception, but I, I would not want to do it. I wouldn't tackle that in in a 50k challenge. Um. You definitely, you know, got it. When you're trying something, you got to, you got to. It, it's sort of like changing, you know. Um, if your doctor gives you three medications at once and you have really shitty side effects, <laughs> which one was it? Why? Who knows? So if, <laughs> who knows? if you are in, a, if you're in a stressful challenge and 
you know, and you do something new, and it doesn't work. It, well, was it the was it the fandom? Was it the stress? I mean, do you know? Can you know? So you gotta kind of you gotta kind of. And sometimes you, you know, automatically know what the, what's fucking you up, and sometimes you don't. Right. You so don't want to add more to that. Person, you try first person with a character you don't know well or a fandom you're not comfortable in, and then you come back and go, it was a flop. Well, I'm going to go, well, was it a flop uh-huh. because it was first person or was it a flop because you were doing something completely new? You can't do two new things at once. <laughs> if I was going to do one. a big project in first person in fandom and it wasn't going to be an original character, um, it would either be Harry or John. And those are really my only two choices in fandom. Yeah. Oh, or maybe Meredith, but not Rodney. <laughs> no, not Rodney. I mean, I've written that first person in Rodney, but I don't think I would be willing to tackle um, Rodney. I His intellectualism, I would be bogged down in so much research for, search for his intellectualism that I would never get anything accomplished. Yeah. But Meredith is, is is just as smart, obviously, but I connect with Meredith on a level as a woman, and that makes a difference. But really, honestly, if I was going to do first person, it would it would definitely be a Stargate, and, and, and it would probably be John. Um, so. I think the only character I would long be really time. comfortable writing in first person would be Tony these days. Um Maybe I'm. There's a couple others I might be able to do, but I wouldn't do them in a challenge. There's a, there's there's probably four or five that I'd be willing to try, but I wouldn't. Like I said, I wouldn't do them in challenge. Um, if I were to go in to do a big project, especially in the in a nano in first person, it would have to be Tony. That would that that's that's it. That's my comfort zone there. Um, so just don't don't if you're gonna try. Anything, actually anything POV, POV is so foundational, um, but it's also difficult in its way. And if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to stretch your skills with POV, don't give yourself any other challenge. That's just crazy cakes. You've got to go where you're comfortable. And if you're comfortable with a certain type of trope, even if you've written it ten times before, get into your lane if you're going to try something new with point of view. I have Actually, gone back and forth exact- on my nanofic like 200 times, and I no, and I no longer have a plot for nano. <laughs> for, for for November, this November, yeah, the mutant challenge, yeah, yeah. the mutant challenge. And if I would actually give you the same advice if you were going to try to write omniscient point of view, is that you need to get pick pick your comfort zone and go there, <laughs> because that is I actually think omniscient point of view is a harder POV to master than first person or any of the other third-person subjective point of views. It's I 100% agree because it is so easy to fall back down into a regular third person. Yeah. So, And when you do that, you're just head-hopping. So the, the line between the omniscient point of view and, and head-hopping is small. It is, it is a very fine line. And if you don't police it, so 
I, I so I would give the exact same advice for if you're going to try to master on uh, try to you know build an unomniscient POV set. I give the same advice: is that you've got to pick your comfort zone, and you need to get in your comfort zone for that because ultimately you might succeed well by going with characters you don't know at all because it might be easier for you to ride the top of the narrative if you don't know the characters at all and you're not tempted to dip down, but your your work might come out unsatisfying and flat. So. I find writing in an omniscient point of view emotionally unsatisfying across the board, and I do ride I high on the narrative, um, and I find the God POV um, boring. It, it's too distant. It's very um, distant. It's it's like watching, um, it's like, it's like watching a concert outside the stadium. <laughs> yeah. The only POV I dislike more that's a third person point of view is the third person objective, which is um, common in mysteries. Not, not maybe not common anymore, but it used to be common in mysteries. And the reason it was common is because they didn't want you knowing anything that was not on screen, so you never had internal thoughts because. If you're in a character's point of view and they're the killer, but the writer's trying not to reveal who the killer is, if that's never revealed, then your narrator is implicitly unreliable. So that's kind of where the objective point of view kind of grew out of. I mm-hmm. I personally it's one of the reasons why there's a lot of mysteries I don't like to read is because I want I want a reliable character whose point of view I can think into. I don't want to just see what's on screen. I have movies for that. While we're on the subject of mystery, I want to point out to people who um, might not be clear on the line between suspense and mystery. In a mystery, the reader is kept in the dark about the resolution for as long as possible. Whereas if it's a murder mystery, you don't find out who the killer is until the end and the big reveal, the Sherlock moment. Um, in a suspense, the reader will often know more than the main character. And the reader may know who the killer is from moment one. And the suspense part is the main character getting to that conclusion that you've already reached. And a lot of readers don't know the difference and end up being shitty about suspense because they think that... um, the writer did it wrong. No, honey, you're just reading the wrong genre. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I have seen so many reviews on Amazon lately bitching about that. I'm like, dude, why are you reading suspense when you want to be reading a mystery? Because a lot of times the suspense audience knows things that the main character, the protagonist, does not know. You've met the killer. Sometimes you're in the killer's POV for a while. You've seen the killer do shit. And that's a suspense. All the killers. Whereas a mystery, you are in the dark. If the writer is good, you are in the dark as long as possible about the yeah. identity of the killer. And that is the difference between those two genres. And it is super important when you're building your idea to know if you're writing a mystery or if you're writing a suspense, because it does change what your audience is allowed to know throughout the. Um, course of the story and what your main character is allowed to know yeah because that's why a lot of times the main character in a, in a in a if there's not an objective point of view if you're in the limited point of view which is my preference um which is the subjective points of view if you're in a subjective point of view 
the main character is usually the detective. Because that Which is way what most can... fiction is written in. It, most fiction is written in a subjective point of view. Yeah. Right? So, okay, yeah. I that right. Okay. Yeah, it's, the, there's multiple third-person limited types. There's third-person limited, third-person multiple. And they're, the, they're all the third-person subjectives. First-person is inherently a subjective point of view. So most is written. There are some people who say they're writing a, omniscient. They're just head-hopping, which means it's also a subjective point of view. Um the objective point of view is pretty narrow in who, what its application is, but I still prefer mysteries that are written from the detective's point of view and the point of view is subjective. That way I have something to hold on to as a reader as opposed to just the facts on the screen. I want to get in there and learn a character. I want, to, I want their thoughts and their feelings. I don't, if I just want to see what's on the screen, I've got movies and TV. So, um. we have not done a mystery challenge on um, Rough Trade. Um, in fact, uh, I'll tell you a story, Ellie. You weren't around for this. Once upon a time, I announced that we would be doing a single POV challenge. And then Jilly and I spent months and months and months and months and months and months talking about the difference between first person and third person and what it meant to write in a single character point of view. And we get to November, and it is the single character point of view challenge, and it's also, incidentally, a time travel challenge. Um, Jilly wrote Slytherin Black. I wrote um, Darkly Loyal. Neither one of which of our stories are actually published, um, by the way. <laughs> but we wrote the hell out of that shit. Okay, so, and then, like, a large majority of the people who participated failed. And I made a personal vow to myself to never set up another challenge on Rough Trade that required that much explanation. So, will there ever be a mystery challenge on rough trade the answer is no because i'm not going to spend eight months trying to teach you bitches the difference between suspense and mystery <laughs> just, i'm just saying i can't i can't i love you guys i love you guys but i can't <laughs> she's a masochist but she's not that much of one <laughs> my masochism is entirely physical not emotional no, I mean, a lot of you did very well during the single POV challenge. I don't take that away from you, but plenty of people did not, and they went into the challenge still not understanding what the challenge was. Yeah. But I opened up multiple six, and I'm like, why are you head hopping? You only get one character. Oh, my God. Click, click. And even when we would talk about it throughout the challenge, people were like, well, that people will be posting and saying, well, I don't understand what you mean by one point of view. <laughs> how many podcasts have we done? How many posts? How many? It was just articles. Articles. We, we posted, you know. And actually to really make it a single POV challenge, that, that I, I think understanding a single point of view in third person is, was harder than, than just writing and making everybody write in first person, which we would never, first person. Sure, would never do. 
she would never do. Um, not Nano. Would I do it in a different challenge? Um, I think it might be interesting next year in July to have you do one story in third person and the other story in first person. That'd be interesting. We also did do one genre challenge, which was urban fantasy. Um, and again, I think anytime we this challenge is structured too narrowly, people get frustrated. A lot of questions. They get frustrated, and we get a lot of questions. And um, I think urban fantasy stumped a lot of people because I it think more me. of our writers. Are, yeah. I, and it's because I think more of our writers are paranormal romance people than they are urban fantasy. Um, so I had to actually know. end my story prematurely to avoid the paranormal rom- romance label <laughs> because um, the line between paranormal romance and urban fantasy is extremely thin for me. But I wouldn't ask anybody to come out of the gate writing 50k for a first person challenge for a first person challenge. I would never do that. But it would be I would be interested to see how people did um, with a short story challenge writing in first person. Um, I wouldn't make it a requirement, but uh, it would be like a personal challenge. Like I'm going to do this, you guys can join me or not, you know, kind of thing. Um, like when me and Julie did our personal 50k, 100k. Who asked the first person question? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, that was Nano two thousand fifteen when when we did the um. No, last year we did the urban fantasy, right? So 2015 yeah, was the was first. Was the, 2015 was the time travel single POV, and people had a really hard time. And I am one of them, staying in one character's point of view. Um, and but I got around it by turning my uh, t- turning two house elves into spies because I needed other POVs, but I wasn't going to break the challenge. So pensives were abused. <laughs> Um, whoever asked, the reason I asked who asked the POV question is whoever that is, if they're still listening, I said, I don't remember who asked it. Um, if you pick a scene from a story of mine, I don't care which one, more or less, I, depending upon, if you make a, a if you p- make a pick that really throws me, I may have to ask you to go to an alternate, but pick a scene of a story of mine, it's when you've read a story of mine, <laughs> and I will rewrite it in first person point of view as an exercise and I will post it on the forum. Um, if anybody's interested in that, as uh, an exercise. I have and a forum the set up for that, but we never used it. I don't think, um, um, I did a writing exercise forum. I thought, hold on. I think you probably did. Cause we did talk about it at one it's point, called, but I um, was the point oh, of view. Desert poet. Okay. So if you want to do that, if you want to see the, the difference between how it looks a little bit different, if that helps you in any way, yes, I know you have read my work. <laughs> so uh, if that would help you in any way, um, 
if it wouldn't help you, and you can delegate that to somebody else if you want. But if anybody's interested in that, I can post a scene or a part of a scene, changing it to first person to show how it comes out differently. Because um, it shouldn't. I'm willing be to exactly do it too. Because yeah. um, I think we we would have a very different um, technique for that. Um, so I'd be willing to do it as well if there is a uh, uh, pick a short thing, something short. And I'll be happy to do that as well. Um, probably not until after um, Rough Trade is finished, unless I finish my story tomorrow, which I might do. Um, but yeah, I'll be happy to do it too. I think it'd be a lot of fun. And we do have that POV there for that for that very reason. So if you guys have to want to go in there and try it yourself, set up your own thread, and um, we can talk back and forth about uh, what's good and what's not so good about your attempts. <laughs> It's the exercises. That's the point. You know, nobody's perfect. And you don't um, learn something uh, without practice, 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 practice. Um, And um, I learn better from my failures than I I do my successes. Uh, Yeah, anybody ever wants to point, post a bit of something and get some structured feedback on it? I'm I'm not a criticism person, neither is Kira. I'd say, you know, what here works or and try to be specific about what you're trying to get help with because I would want to give somebody a bunch of characterization feedback and find out they're looking for plot holes. <laughs> so it's just try to be some little bit on what you're looking for. Um, I've seen there's, I don't remember who does this, but there's somebody who does um, this thing um, where an editor um they submit specifically to I'm not sure what that question is. Um, well, they submit a scene specifically to the opening, not the scene, an opening to the editor for the editor to give structured feedback on online. And the editor responds, this is for a major publishing house, and the editor responds to the the scene about what grabbed them, what worked, what they would like to see developed better. And it's really overall, the tone of it is very positive, the way the editor approaches giving this feedback. It's not all mm-hmm. sunshine and daisies. She says stuff like, you know, this would need to be, you know, beefed up a little bit. I really like this. This really grabbed me. Um, so it can be a positive experience, even if it's difficult, to solicit feedback about something you're having a hard time with. Um, so. And I don't believe that constructive criticism is a thing. It is not. It's it's not real. There's no such thing as constructive criticism. But there is constructive feedback, and there is structured feedback, and there is helpful feedback. But I don't consider criticism in any form ever helpful. Yeah. And also, I have to say one more time, and it has never been more clear to me, that there are plenty of people in fandom who are great readers who have no business whatsoever giving any kind of craft feedback. They are 100% unqualified to do so. (laughs) That is a PSA. Your readers are unqualified to give you feedback on your craft as a writer. Believe this. 
know. We got we had one other question um, that I noticed anyway. I don't. I failed to note who asked these questions, which was really a dodo move. I wrote. Me. I just picked. I don't. I, I didn't have another one, so I must have missed one. So. Um, um, I don't remember who asked this. I don't think we'll get to the whole thing. We may just save it for next time. Um, but the question was, I'm curious, that whatever we don't get to that people ask, we'll just defer to the next time we do one of these. I'm curious what the process or processes you use to get started. Do you start with an idea for a scene, a snapshot, as it were? Do you see, read something that you just think, I got to fix that shit? Do you start with a particular character that you want to do something with? What's the first thing that sparks you both? And what do you do to get started to get it on paper? Um, That was the one question. The other question we had, I don't remember who answered that, who asked that, but because I thought I'd copied names, but apparently I didn't. I was often kind of my process with a question of what if? Mm-hmm. What if McKay doesn't go to Atlantis? What if McKay is a girl? What if John has a kid he doesn't know about on Earth? Um, what if Atlantis has an AI? What if they find a ZPM? I what if create it was the guide? Ritual. Yeah. What if it was the guide who was the the throwback and not the sentinel? Um, yeah. Although to be fair, sometimes I gotta fix that shit. Is 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 one hundred percent legit? Let's talk about dead air. Um, you know, I gotta fix that shit. Is, <laughs> is the impetus behind so many of my stories. Uh, but sometimes just I got to fix that shit. Well, in what way? And that's where the question comes in. What if, what if, whatever, what if Tony got hurt? What if Tony got killed? I hate that question. <laughs> what if there were real world consequences? What if Tony said no when there weren't any consequences? What if Tony blackmailed Vance for failing and gets his ass taken to Hawaii? You know, and then, and you could ask the same thing about the Sentinel Guide trope. What if, what if Tony came online while he was at sea? What if, um, you know, what if Steve came online when his father was killed? What if, what if, what if, what if? And, and pick your, pick your moment. And and the question is a really good starting point. They're really good because the it, it allows. It allows for change. The question in itself allows for change because if you just start from I want to interrupt canon at this point, you can get locked into canon, and then you're just writing the episode with a small change in it. So, and we know how we feel about that. Well, we we have many feelings about that. Um, we can never get enough dead air fixes. No, that's impossible. Um, dead air can fix three thousand. We can be fixed three thousand more ways that I have not read yet. I look forward to reading your efforts. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, we look, look forward, forward to it. it. <laughs> um, I am actually so offended by the events of dead air. At one point, I actually considered making it a challenge on Rough Trade just to piss people off because people were pissed off in the NCIS about there being so many um, dead air tags. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to do a whole challenge dedicated to it. <laughs> yeah, they they respond to stories like, oh, another dead air fic. Another it's like, dead really? air fic. Fuck, we fuck could you. actually we call the challenge. We could call the challenge an, another dead air fic. 
But I did announce, before we go, we have two minutes left, I did announce um, the challenge for April. I like to get it out so people can be thinking about it as far as advance as possible to avoid any um, hurt feelings or, or conversations where I'm made to believe that I've ruined somebody's writing life forever, and yes, that did happen. Okay, so um, uh, we, uh, and if you're listening, that that was about you, and I'm not really sorry because I'm still thinking about it, which means that you 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 wounded me. Anyway, <laughs> Kara has never We're ruined anybody's writing life. I haven't, as far as I know. Um, uh, we're going to do a sequel challenge in um, April, which means you have to write a sequel to a work you currently have published, or that is published by April. It has to be up, in, but you have to put a link to your completed work on your project file for April. I do not want you not having this because I am not going to be fielding questions from 7,000 freaking people because you don't have a link up for your project file. So, don't test me, bitches. So, we'll have another podcast about that topic in particular um, probably um, after July. So, and one about Quantum Bang in August because August 1st is the official sign-up for Quantum Bang. Um, we got 56 seconds left. Um, and yes, yes, people, some people, I'm sure a bunch of people are going to ask this. A prequel is implicitly a type of sequel. Anything you write in the universe after the initial story is a sequel regardless of how you label it. Or where it takes place in the timeline. 37 right. seconds. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. Yeah. Shut up and sit down.